Lamb who was slain, holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, holy, holy is he. To him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I of lightning rolls of thunder blessing and honor strength and glory and power be to you
excited when she sang. That girl can sing. If you have your Bible today, we're in Exodus 20, verse 17. We're concluding a series on the uh, Ten Commandments. Today, the title of the message is Take the Long Look. You know, in life, sometimes we just look at that stuff that's right in front of us and we forget to take the long look. Today, the message, I hope, will help us to do that, to take the long look, see where we're going, see what uh, we're moving toward in our in our life. A recent uh, summary of teenagers, female teenagers, said that their favorite pastime was going to the mall. Boy, have times changed. That beat out dating. It used to be dating. One man told me if my wife doesn't go to the mall three times a week, I send her a goodwill card. She, she needs to be doing better. Today, uh, we're going to finish this series. This is the 10th commandment, and this is what it says. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Well, I want to give you an advance warning this morning. There are only 74 days left until Christmas. You're going to get a lot of catalogs uh, in the next few months uh, telling you about all the things that you're supposed to buy. Uh, you're, you're going to read those catalogs, look for stuff. You know, you will not find the word covet in there anywhere. It won't be in any of the catalogs that they're going to send you. Well, uh, we make a regular practice in this country, to covet. Uh, there's not a more appropriate sermon for our time than a sermon on coveting, because we all do it. What is coveting? It's the uncontrolled desire to acquire. The desire to acquire in and of itself is not bad. We all have that. God gave us that desire. He made the squirrels with an innate desire to gather up some nuts uh, for the wintertime. He made the birds of the air to gather together some straw, uh, store it away, and, and some worms for food. And he filled the world with all kinds of exciting, great, desirable things. And he gave us a desire to have a lot of that stuff. That in and of itself is not bad. But if it is uncontrolled, if it drives us kind of nuts, if we just have to go to the mall, if we just have to, you know, get the latest thing that's out, uh, then it's a real problem. God says uh, there are some things that are off limits. Uh, they are not yours to want, and if you get them, uh, they will harm you. So your desire to acquire must be controlled. You have to kind of get in charge of it. Would you agree that it's hard in our culture to be content with what you have? This morning, I want us to look at the effect of always wanting more. The Bible says that there are five specific effects when I do not control this desire to acquire. The first one is 
fatigue. Never in our history have we been so pushed to get so much more so quickly. In our push to get more, we overwork. Some people go and get a second job. I know some people that have a third job. Uh, Everybody in the family works. We're all in the material rat race as a result of everyone uh, is tired. You know, you get worn out after a while. Proverbs 23, 4 says, Do not wear yourself out to be rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. The second one is debt. Can any of you relate uh, to that one? Uh, Of course, we all can. We're all in debt at one time or another in our life. Coveting destroys our budget. We think the problem is that we don't make enough money. That's not the problem. The problem is that we want too much. The average American couple puts more on their credit card than they make. Can you believe that? It's just unbelievable. That's the way our country is moving. This is called deficit spending. And the only one that can get away with that is our government. (laughs) And they can't get away with it very long. Eventually, that uh, debt is going to come due. And we're going to have to pay it. I believe, and I would favor strongly, a balanced budget amendment. I think we need that. We have to stop uh, the socialistic movement in our country. Uh, Socialism hates religion. Uh, They want people to look to the government and not to God. Because we want more than we can possibly afford, we get further and further and further in debt. It always costs more to have more. The third thing this morning is worry. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, A working man can get a good night's sleep, but the rich man has so much that he stays awake worrying. When we focus on things, we always inevitably worry because the more you have, the more you have to worry about. How am I going to protect it? How am I going to save it? How am I going to invest it? How am I going to insure it? How am I going to avoid paying taxes on it? How am I going to keep it? The more you have, the more you have to worry about. A study study said that insomnia increases with income. I don't know if that's true or not. There is fatigue, there is debt, there is worry. And if you add those three together, it gives you number four, which is conflict. Conflict. James 4.1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? It says that conflict, comes from the desire to want more and more and more. 
Do you know the number one cause of divorce in America? It's uh, arguing over money. There's a financial tension in the home. That's the number one problem, and it's way ahead of number two. Way ahead. When you have what I want, then there is a good chance that there is going to be conflict over it. God is telling us, for your own good, not to covet what is somebody else's. Not to covet what your neighbor has. For your own good. That's not for somebody else's good. That's for your good. Don't covet someone else's job. Don't covet someone else's house. Don't covet someone else's car. Don't come covet someone else's wife. Uh, don't covet someone else's husband. Uh, you know, there's lots of things that a lot of people want that really should be off limits. Well, number five is dissatisfaction. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, You will be never satisfied if you long to be rich. You'll never get all that you want. Do you really believe that? It's, uh, it's true. Uh, you'll never be satisfied if you are frantic, if you are possessed about getting more and more and more. The Living Bible expresses this same verse in this way. It says, it's foolish to think wealth will bring happiness. Things can bring happiness for a while, but after a while, the thrill doesn't last any longer. The excitement wears off. You've been there. You got a present for your birthday or Christmas or something, and you think to yourself, boy, this is a great present. I love this. This is just, this is just terrific. This is the best present I have ever gotten. This is wonderful. And you know what happens? Over a little bit of time, uh, it isn't uh, great anymore. After a while, it, it, uh, it doesn't have that shine that it had on the first day. You get bored, in fact, with that piece of art or furniture or the new car. Why? Because do you know why things don't make you permanently happy? Because things don't change. And we get bored with things that don't change. If things don't change, then uh, we become restless and we want something different. Cindy and I have a friend that changes everything in her house every two years. You know, she just gets bored with it. And uh, she wants something different. That's why we have fashions and styles. We love that. Why? Because they change. Things don't give a permanent happiness. How many of you are really, really thrilled over last uh, Christmas uh, present? How many of you remember last <laughs> Christmas present? Coveting is the number one reason for dissatisfaction in our world. What is the antidote to coveting? The antidote for coveting is obviously contentment. 
Philippians 4.12 says, I have learned the secret of being content, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul says he has learned to be content. Why? Because contentment is something that you have to learn. We, by nature, are not content. I'm not content. You're not content. We have to learn to be content. There are uh, a lot of ways to become content. And, and the thing I want to do today, and this is really the heart of the message, I want to give you some ways that you can learn to be content. And I think this is real important. Number one, resist comparing yourself to other people. Why? Because comparing always leads to coveting. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, Do not dare classify or compare ourselves. It is not wise. That means it's dumb. Uh, that means if you are comparing houses or jobs or cars or furniture or looks or intellect or biceps or figure or whatever it might be, uh, that is not wise. It is dumb to compare because God says the only thing it will do is cause in your life dissatisfaction. How do you react when somebody has a nicer car than you do? Boy, I wish I could have a car like that. Or can you just be glad that they have that car and you're glad that they're happy with it? Or how do you react when you see somebody with a uh, much nicer house or a more beautiful furniture? Do you ever go to somebody's house and say, wow, did you notice that furniture that they have? It goes back to Louis XIV. <laughs> Ours goes back to Badcocks on the 15th. <laughs> if we don't make the payments, it's gone. <laughs> How do you react when you see somebody else's stuff? Does it just make you crazy? One of the greatest lessons you can learn is to admire without having to acquire. If the only things you enjoy are those things that you own, you are going to live a miserable life because you can't own everything. So learn to admire without having to acquire. Why do we compare? We compare because in our society, we keep score by our possessions. We are insecure. We're always looking around and asking, how am I doing? How am I doing? Uh, as if net worth and self-worth are the same. They're not the same. Your self-worth has absolutely nothing to do with your net worth. You can be a millionaire and be an absolute jerk. Uh, you can be a pauper and be a wonderful, godly, loving person. 
So don't compare net worth with self-worth. In 1 Timothy 6, 9, it says people who have to get rich, who have to get rich, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. You see, things can control us. We can be possessed by our possessions. People will sacrifice values and morals and integrity in order to get more. They will even sacrifice relationships to get an additional dollar. I'm sure you heard about the man that won the lottery. He won $17 million. And he called home and his wife answered and he said, I just uh, won the lottery. Start packing. And she says, great, warm weather or cold weather. And he said, it doesn't make any difference. Just be gone when I get home. Some people will sacrifice totally relationships for money. Now, the second way we learn to be content is to appreciate what we have. Uh, Open your eyes to the blessings of God. I mean, today I've got enough clothes on to cover everything. Uh, You know, I've got a car, I've got a house, I've got a sweet wife. You know, I've got a lot of stuff. I ought to be just totally 100% happy. And you should too. You should too. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, If God gives you or any man wealth and possession and enables him to enjoy them and accept his lot and be happy in his work, that is a gift of God. God has blessed you. When you see... There is a trap when we get into this when and then thinking. Uh, When and then thinking says, when I get blank, then I'll be happy. You fill in the blank in your life. When I get blank, then I'll be happy. Well, uh, when I get a better paying job, when I get my kids through college, when I get a new automobile, When we get a new piece of furniture, then I will be happy. Wrong. That's wrong. You won't be. You'll you'll be happy with it for a little while. You know, it'll be wonderful. It'll be shiny and new for a little while. But that won't last. And then you'll have to get a newer, better, bigger model of whatever it is. You must learn to cut through that to be happy. What are you waiting on to make you happy? When I get married, then I'll be happy. When I get out of this marriage, then I'll be happy. When we have kids, then we'll be happy. You know, when these kids leave, then we'll be happy. Let me say this. Happiness is not getting whatever you want. Happiness is enjoying whatever you have. Timothy tells us to be happy with what we have because God has given it to us for our enjoyment. 
Proverbs 15, 27 says, A greedy man brings trouble to his family. The third way that we learn to be content is to release what I have to help others. God does not want to bless you, bless you just so you can keep all the stuff that you get. He wants you to share it. He watches to see if you are sharing it. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, a longer passage than I usually read, but if you'll take note of that, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, that's really a great text about the things of this world. Let me read it to you. Tell those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Tell them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for eternity. That is a great, great passage. And it's very Important, and it's very true. It says, tell those who are rich. Well, who, who is, who's rich? Well, I want you to look around in the uh, room this morning. Everybody that's in here is rich. Now, if you were over in Iraq today and people were closing in on you to cut your head off, you would realize how rich you are. If you were living in Uh, 75% of the world and you didn't have enough to eat at the end of the day, you'd realize that you, right here, right today, even if you're on welfare, you, right here today, are in the top 10% of income in the world. So you're rich, believe it uh, or not. Uh, In the world, uh, this verse... uh, should make sense to everybody, but it doesn't. We should learn it. We should try and live by it, but so many times we don't. We covet what our neighbor has. The question is this. Is it possible to be wealthy and not to be materialistic? Yes. Yes, you can. Materialism is an attitude. You can be poor and greedy. You can be rich and greedy. You can be poor and contented, and you can be wealthy and contented. It is an attitude and not the amount of your possessions. How can I be wealthy and not materialistic? By following the four precautions that are in the text that I just read. Uh, The verse says, don't be arrogant. You know, no matter how much you have, don't think that you're better than people that don't have that much. That's terrible. Uh, Don't put your hope in your money. Don't look to your bank account uh, to make you uh, something big and important. Uh, Don't look there for your security. Your security is in God, not in what you have. Your bank account can be lost overnight, just like that, and you know it. What if one day we get up and uh, the dollar is worth zero. You know, there's a lot of people writing books today 
that that is saying that that's going to happen any day now. We're going to get up one day and the dollar is going to be worthless. And then uh, we can't get any gas. We can't get any electricity. We can't buy anything. Our money's no good. Where's your security then? See, we we have to think through that. The scripture says, be rich in good deeds. Use whatever you have to help some other people. Be generous and willing to share. The Bible tells us the more we receive, the more we should be willing to share with others. Giving is the cure for the disease of materialism. Why? Because it is the opposite of getting. Anytime I give away, I am breaking the grip of materialism on my life. God is telling us that if we do these things, then we will be storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Acts 20.35 says, There is more happiness in giving than in receiving. Uh, If you know that, it's a mark of maturity in your life. If you don't know that, it's a mark of immaturity in your life. It's a thrill, isn't it, to see your children when they grow up and they reach the time when they get more joy at Christmas over what they give than what they receive. It is true with a Christian, just the same. All right, the last one, refocus on what is going to last. Uh, Reorganize your life around some eternal priorities. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, we fix our attention not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. What can be seen lasts only for a short time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. Everything in this world is either going to decay or rust, or wear out, or fall apart, or die. Uh, It will eventually not exist because this life is very, very temporary. The only thing that will last for eternity are those things which you cannot see, your love, your relationship for our Heavenly Father, your love, your relationship to your friends, the values that you have, Uh, that help lift you up. The worst thing about materialism is that it clouds your vision of God. We begin to think that all there really is to life is things. That is so wrong. Life is much more than just getting things. Jesus told a story about this once. He said there was a man who was very successful in what he did, and he built up all these big barns, and he filled them all up. The corn was overflowing at the top, and and he thought, what am I going to do? And he thought, well, gosh, I'm going to have to build some bigger barns. And that's exactly what he did. And God said to him, "Uh, you fool. That's what God said. What a fool you are to think that there is to life nothing other than getting more. Uh, You're not going to take it with you. Some have tried, but it, it doesn't work. Uh, we have a chance, I guess, to, to kind of manage things for 60, 70 years at the most. 
and uh, we get to do that. But uh, if we leave too much, it'll ruin our kids. You know that. Uh, so why are you beating your head against the wall to get more? Uh, there is more to life than things. Culture says, if I have a little, I'm worth a little. That is not true. The cross says you're worth a lot. Today, as we come to the end of this series, we should ask ourselves this question. What am I living for? Am I living just to amass some stuff that I'm going to have for a short period of time? It's more than that, folks. It comes to knowing the true purpose in your life, and you only find that purpose in a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Today, if you're in the house, you've been visiting with us for a period of time, I hope that uh, you've been thinking and praying about joining with us, about being a part of this fellowship. I hope that today would be the day that you would come and join with us and serve with us as we try and, and relate to not only our community, but our, our county, our state, our country, the values that our Lord would have us to have. Today, if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never come forward in a service in your life to take a stand saying, I've asked the Lord to forgive me of the sin of my life, and I want to place my faith and my trust in Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you have those kinds of decisions to make today, this would be the time to do it. A time of invitation when we invite those that need to take a stand for the Lord to do it. I'll be standing right here at the front waiting on you to slip out and slip forward and take a stand for him who died for you. Let's stand as we sing together.